0: Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. We are in Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2. Encourage you, if you don't, uh, if you've not already text the word uh, guest to that number 865-240-0353, one of the things when you text that, uh, it gives us a number that we can connect with you, and every week we send out before our uh, before Sunday uh, the scripture that we're going to be teaching on so that you can take a chance and dive into it and uh, study and read and prep before you come in uh, so that we're ready to hear what the Lord has for us So I encourage you. If you haven't done that, do that, and we'll get you on that list so that uh, you're getting that every single week week. Well, we're going to continue uh, this week in Romans chapter 2. Uh, and reminder that uh, this is still uh, for a while now, we're going to be in what's called the passages of wrath, uh, where Paul is going to unpack God's judgment against our sin uh, and our disobedience uh, towards him. But Paul is going to take a slight little turn uh, this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, last uh, uh, last couple of days have been absolutely incredible. Uh, the sun is out. It is not freezing. Uh, In fact, this week is going to be high fifties, low sixties all week with this thing that we're not familiar with called sunshine. Um, And it was, it's going to be glorious. I'm so excited about this next week, if you can't tell. Uh, But yesterday I was at the gym, started my run on the treadmill and it hit me. I'm like, it's 60 degrees outside and the sun is shining. Why am I inside running on a treadmill? I should go outside, right? It's not cold. And so I run out of the gym and I had driven in on Campbell Station and I'm going, man, Campbell Station is flat. This is going to be the best run ever. It's just a flat miles of running and it's going to be incredible, right? And so I go up, hit Kingston Pike, turn around, come down Campbell Station. And this is easy this is awesome this is an incredible run I'm loving it the sun's shining down on me and then I get to the end and I turn around and I go back and I realize I've made a mistake this is not an easy run it's one of those steady inclines all the way back for like the next mile or so it's just going to be steady straight up you know I'm like this did not turn out the way that I thought it was going and that's where we're going to find ourselves here in Romans chapter 2. We've been listening to Paul talk about God's judgment against sin. And so far, what Paul has really dealt with are kind of the big, huge, grandiose sins that we think about. Sexual immorality, homosexuality, drunkenness, all these these vices that we would look at and go, that's them. And praise Jesus, I'm not them. But Paul is going to turn here in Romans chapter 2, and he's going to put his focus on the rest of us who think maybe we've gotten off, Uh, maybe we're not included uh, because we don't do those horrible things. In chapter 2, Paul is going to continue his analysis kind of of this first century uh, where uh, 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 Rome was, uh, and these churches like Ephesus, uh, the church in uh, Rome, uh, these churches found themselves uh, living. He's going to evaluate their culture. Um, Last week we saw in chapter 1 how he identified that his culture had rejected God, even though God had revealed himself to them through the nature around them, God had all. So revealed himself to them through their very own conscience. That they were without excuse, that there was evidence of God all around them, and yet they have rejected God. And when they rejected God, what did they embrace? False idols. They began to worship these idols and other gods that were not true. And because of this, because they embraced uh, uh, idol worship, that it didn't take long for uh, sexual immorality to begin to explode within the Roman culture. And you saw that the family uh, life began to be uh, disintegrated, uh, which doesn't, I mean, it's not surprising that the family's disintegrated. Home life is, is blown away when you have men who are married to women, but yet have child male prostitutes that they engage with. Like if that's happening, like you're gonna have problems at home, right? Obviously, but the culture is just eroding because of the rampant sexual immorality and perversion that is happening in the roman empire and as this continues what we saw last week is that the spirit of violence and cruelty was rising up that there was blanket disregard for human life as god turned them over to their own desires As God said, you think you know what's best? You want to worship other gods? You want to embrace sexual immorality? You think your desire is going to lead you to a life that's going to satisfy you? Have at it. Run. Chase it. I'm going to remove the restraints and let you feel what your sin truly feels like. With the hopes that you'll return to me. That you will repent And that you will find your true life and identity in me. And so as Paul describes the culture of Rome thousands of years ago, not only did he describe their culture then, but he also describes the world we live in today. Everything that Paul listed in chapter one of Romans happened yesterday in Knoxville, Tennessee. Not in California, it did happen there. Not just in New York and these big, huge cities where we think are so evil, but yesterday, everything Paul talked about in Romans chapter one took place in Farragut. Our home, our bubble, And so you have two groups, the first group, the evildoers that Paul talked about here in chapter one, these horrible, what we would say, grotesque, um, huge sins. You have this group of people, but there's a second group of people, people that I would call morally self-righteous people, who would look at the people Paul described in chapter one and would say, well, at least I'm not like them. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a, a horrible person who abuses their wife and is drunk all the time. At least I'm not them. I'm, my, my life is better. I follow the rules. Romans 1 may describe them, those evil sinners over there, but it doesn't describe me. And when you read uh, this first chapter of Romans, that division is immediately evident. Them versus us. They are the wicked, the obviously gross, the wicked people, but we are not. We're different because we are morally good, because we try to follow Jesus, because we try to do good, because we don't struggle with those sins. Somehow we are better and superior to them. We don't go to the bar. We don't get drunk. We don't abuse our spouse. We don't cheat and do horrible things. We don't, uh, uh, we, we don't use drugs. We, we don't even drink. And many of these people would say, I've been going to church my whole life. And we pride ourselves on our moral standards Our values and that we keep the law and we do what we think we should and we look at the world around us and we go the world is in the condition it's in because of those evil people over there because of those wicked radical crazy people because of those perverts over there that's the reason the world is where it is today but me oh i'm salt of the earth We're gonna call them morally self-righteous people, and if we're honest, most of us would fall into this category at times. People who distinguish themselves from others based on their own works, and their adherence to the rules or moral standards. And it is on these people, these morally self-righteous people, that Paul is gonna turn his attention here in chapter two. To those who think that they are nothing like the people described in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul is going to say this, he's going to say, we are all sinners. And we all deserve the full wrath of God, regardless of how good you may think your sin is, or how worse you may think their sin is than yours. All of us deserve the wrath of God, Paul says. And Paul's going to give us also some really hard truths that we've got to come to grips with here about self righteous judgment of others that ought to lead us to repent and trust in Jesus. Let's dive in Romans 2, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man. Every one of you who judges, everyone who looks at another person and says, your sin is worse than mine and somehow I'm better than you. Listen, you have no excuse. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, Paul says, because you the judge practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Paul talks about those of us who want to pass judgment on others. He's going to make two points about this, about those of us who want to stand in judgment over uh, others. He says, first of all, he says that that we know the difference between right and wrong. Otherwise, we couldn't be judging someone else. The very fact that we're judging someone else means that we acknowledge that there is a standard out there that we base everything against. And the fact that we acknowledge that and try to judge someone else acknowledges that we're in a place of wrong. We have a clear understanding of right and wrong, that there are things that are wrong which merit the judgment and the wrath of God to be released. And this wrath, as Paul described in chapter 1, is primarily God removing the restraints upon this earth, upon wickedness, and allowing it to become widespread and evident. This is the wrath of God at work that Paul talks about in chapter 1. What brings about the de- uh, de- 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 degeneration of our society. But here's the problem those of us who find ourselves over here, the morally self righteous people, if we're honest, we don't think our sin justifies the wrath of God. We think it's somehow more sanitized than their sin. And because of that, it doesn't, it doesn't deserve God's wrath. It doesn't deserve his anger. It doesn't deserve the punishment that they're going to get. That's the sin of the really uh, evil people, the really wicked people that Paul talks about in chapter 1. They deserve the wrath, not me. Me. His second point about those of us who stand in judgment against others is this. He says that you're guilty because you do the very same things yourselves as the evil people that you're judging. God's holy standard condemns everyone, not just the obvious sinner. You and me. Paul says later in Romans 3.10, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not One. They're unrighteous and I'm unrighteous no matter what it is I may be struggling with. We are all sinners and all of us are ju- justified the wrath of God because of our sin. And in the very moment that I look at someone else and I say, You're an evildoer and you, you, you deserve the wrath of God and somehow I'm better than you, in that very moment I'm condemning myself, Paul says. It's not that you do the same identical thing that they did, Paul says, but your conduct is the same. It's sin. You've sinned against God, and you've sinned against His holy standard. Let me maybe illustrate how this happens in my life at times, um, because I, I I struggle with this at times. Let me, let me share with you three ways that we try to escape the fact that we're guilty of the things that we accuse others of. One is this, we're blind to our own sin while pointing it out in the lives of others. We become experts at looking at everybody else and saying, that's sin, that's sin, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. But we have blinders on when it comes to our own life. We can't see what's wrong in our own life. We can't see the sins that are weighing us down. We're just not aware of them. But man, are we quick to point it out in others? Man, are we quick to call it out in the life of our neighbor or a coworker? I don't see the things that I'm doing that are wrong, and yet everybody else around me can see it clear as day. Every one of us have blind spots. That's why we need community. We need other Christ followers who will come along us who can see into our lives, who can speak into our lives, who can help us in those areas that we are blind, where we're hurting other people. And our sin is bringing destruction that we're just not aware of it. This is why Jesus in Matthew tells us that we ought to deal with our own sin before we try to call out sin in other people's lives. Remember, he says, "Hey, deal with a log in your own eye before you try to address the splinter in somebody else's eye." Quit judging others and look inward. Another way that we, we, we uh, think we can escape this is, is this way, is that we willingly forget about our sins while always remembering what others have done. How quick are we to forget about the wrongs that we have done, and yet we are like elephants when it comes to the wrong other people have done to us, right? R- we'll remember that for the rest of our life. 30 years from now, we'll still be gossiping with somebody about what that person did. But we don't remember the wrong that we did yesterday. Another way we're guilty of, uh, 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 of trying to escape and, and judge others this, is that we rename our sin, right? Other people lie and cheat. We simply just kind of, Stretch the truth, right? That's not bad. Others still, I don't still, I, I borrow and just forget to bring back, right? We rename it because if I rename it, then it's not sin and I don't, I don't have to act as though I've done something wrong. Other people are prejudiced. I just have convictions, things that I strongly Believe, I don't care what you try to name it. Sin is sin, period. And it deserves the full wrath of God. My lustful thought in my mind deserves the same wrath of God as the prostitute living a sexually immoral life. It all is sin, and God hates it all, and it all invites his wrath. And so in verses 3 through 11, Paul's going to give us three really hard truths about God's judgment that ought to lead you and I away from self-righteous judgment of others and to repentance and trust in Jesus Let's dive in verses 3 through 4. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who practice such things as in Romans chapter 1, and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? It's almost like a, a sarcastic question Paul is asking. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to Repentance. The first hard truth Paul's going to give us about the judgment of God is this. We do not get a special pass on God's judgment. We don't get an, a, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card that we get to play because we're somehow more special than those horrible sinners over there. or Our sin is somehow better in the eyes of God. We don't get a special pass. We have not earned favor with God. What a ridiculous ground of hope that we can think that our behavior can earn favor with God. It can't. Even our most righteous acts are like filthy garments to God. How crazy to think the God who sees all openly and intimately You can see not just what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. will pronounce judgment on those people, but not on me. People can say like, how can a just and, and loving God permit the injustice and vileness that we see in the world around us? How can he allow someone like Hitler or Kim Kim Jong-un who are horrible dictators and have killed millions of innocent people? Why does God allow an abusive husband to live and continue to abuse? Why does he allow these things to go on year after year after year? Why doesn't God just judge these evil, horrible men and women? I think the better question to ask is this. Why doesn't God bring judgment against me for my sin? Why didn't God judge me yesterday when I said that sharp and hateful, angry response to my loved one that was like a dagger into their heart? Why didn't God judge me in that moment? Why didn't God shrivel up your hand when you used it to cheat on your taxes this year? Why didn't God just take away your voice when you were gossiping on the phone with somebody else the other day, sharing that little bit of information that made somebody else look bad and made me look a little bit better? Why didn't God just take your voice in that moment? It's sin. It deserves his wrath. Why didn't he just rain it down on you? See, because the God of truth and justice sees my sin as clearly as he sees theirs notice the question Paul asked do you think you'll escape the judgment of God you think you get to escape it you think you get a get out of jail free card or and I think this is really where it is do you think you're going to escape his judgment do you think like maybe your sins are somehow less offensive to God Maybe, Paul says, maybe it's that you've belittled his kindness and his tolerance. Why does God tolerate and allow judgment to be held back on our sins? Listen, God's goodness, his tolerance, his patience are exhibited in him giving you a chance to change. A chance to acknowledge your sin and to be forgiven. He is a faithful God who sees what's going on in here. And He gives us opportunities to repent. He knows we're blind. He knows we can't always see the fault within us. And He gives us chance after chance after chance to repent and invite him into those places in our life. Church, listen, we must not mistake God's forbearance as acceptance of our sin. Let that settle in. We can't see God's long-suffering and kindness towards us as somehow his magical acceptance that our sins are better than their sins. It's not what he's up to. God's goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering should bring you and I to a humble place of repentance instead of an attitude of superiority towards them. We don't get a special pass from God's judgment. All of us will be judged. And it is because of God's patience and kindness and long-suffering that we ought to daily fall before him on our knees and ask him to search us and to show us the places that we need to invite him into where we are storing up his wrath, as Paul says. Second truth Paul is going to give us about God's judgment that ought to lead us to repentance instead of judgment against others is this, is that God's judgment will bring about very real consequences. Listen to verses five through eight. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up for yourselves wrath on the day when God's judgment will be revealed. Because we won't repent, because we won't invite Jesus in, because we want to acknowledge that we're a sinner no different than than they are and we want to judge them. Listen, we're storing up wrath for ourselves with God when his judgment is going to be released on us. Listen, verse 6, for he will render to each one according to his works. To those who practice in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but only obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Paul is clear here. God is going to confront everything. Every single sin in your life and my life. It will be confronted one day. When your life is done, whether you want to acknowledge this or not, the truth is we will stand before God and every sin will be accounted for. Judgment will be revealed, no one will escape. And you and I will have to give an account for our life. And what verses five through six are telling us is this. You and I will give an account. Our lives will be laid bare. And it'll be just like the checkout counter when you go to Walmart. And it'll be scanned. Every sin. And the punishment will be added up. And listen, there'll be no escaping and running to the self-checkout line where you can take your bill from $200 down to $46 because you just don't scan everything, right? Like You won't be able to escape it. No sin will go unpunished on that day. And what verses six to seven tell us is that here's the consequence to those who seek and surrender to anything else other than Jesus, you will pay the bill for your sin with your own life. And the consequence will be eternal separation from God in a place called hell for all eternity, where there is real pain, where there is real suffering. For all eternity, there will be no end. but for those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus, Jesus will step up and Jesus will say, I have paid for their sin fully and completely. And here is your consequence, which is more like a reward. Life, eternal with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity in a place that is perfect, without pain, without suffering. Because through Jesus' perfect life, his death and his resurrection, your sin will be paid for and your reward will be eternity with him. So you and I have to make a choice Who's going to pay the price for your sin? You, with your eternity, are Jesus with his perfect life. But there is no doubt the only way to true life here on earth in eternity with him is through Jesus. That's it. But know this no one will escape the judgment of God we will have very real consequences on that day and what you get is your choice verse 9 there will be tribulation and distress for every human who does evil the jews first and also the Greek, but the glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. The third truth Paul gives us about the judgment of God is that God will show no partiality in his judgment. He's not going to look at this group and say, you are somehow way worse than this group, and so I'm going to judge you, but I'm not going to judge them. Everyone's going to be judged. There will be no favorites. I can't stand that. There are no favorites in the kingdom of God. He has no partiality there. All will be judged. At this time, there was a a common belief uh, among the Jews is that God showed partiality towards them, that he loved them more than he loved the Gentiles and the sinners in that time what Paul is being emphatic here about is this, is there is no partiality. Everyone will be judged. All of us will face the wrath of God. And in that moment, the only thing that matters is what you chose to do with Jesus. Did you confess him as Lord? Did you repent of your sins? Did you put your hope and your faith and your trust in him? All right, did you put your faith and trust in something else? We don't get a special pass on God's judgment. And his judgment will have very real consequences for the rest of eternity. And God will not play favorites on that day. So because of these truths that Paul gives us, my prayer is that we would stop judging others and thinking that we're somehow morally superior and better than others, and that we would lean into the Holy Spirit and ask him to help us to see the areas in our lives where we need his help. To see the areas in our life that we are blind, that bring about the same wrath of God as the wicked and evildoers described in chapter 1. Areas that make us no different than the prostitute or the murderer. If you're listening, whether you're here with us in person or listening to this online, and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, asking him to forgive you of your sins, can I encourage you? Would you make that step today? It's the greatest decision you will ever make. All you have to do is acknowledge that you're a sinner and that your sin separates you from Jesus, but Jesus, because of his perfect life and his death on the cross and his resurrection, has paid the price for your sin. Would you ask him to forgive you? Would you invite him into your life and commit to live as he is your Lord? If that's a decision you want to make today, we'd love to make that with you. In the next few moments, we're going to have a time of worship. Our band's going to come back up, and uh, I would invite you during that time, come down. I'll be available. I'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe there's something you want to pray about in your, your life that you're wrestling with. You just want to talk with someone. I, along with some of our team, will be down here and would love to talk and pray uh, with you. But for those of us who are here who struggle with with judging others. Can I just ask you right now, would you just close your eyes and bow your head for a moment? Man, if you're like me and you wrestle with that, would you just confess that to him right now? Maybe it's not a, driving thing that you wrestle with every single day, but there's those moments when you see people doing things that maybe Paul described in chapter one of Romans, and you look down with haughty eyes and judgment at them. Would you just confess that to God? Would you thank him for his long suffering and kindness towards us? He just doesn't pour out his judgment on us even though we deserve it. Would you ask him to help you see the logs in your own eye that you need his help to address and deal with so that you might look more and more like him? we close our time out, invite you to stand where you are, and we're going to do what I uh, call a corporate confession. So if you'll just go ahead and stand up right where you are, we're going to get ready for a time of worship. But as we end our time together, um, I've written a kind of corporate prayer. Uh, that we can pray together that I'd like to ask you to read. It'll be on the screens behind me, Um, and I'd like to ask you to read this along with me as a prayer to God as we wrap up our time together today. Uh, If you would follow along with me. Lord, too often the deepest impulse of my heart is to do the things to secure your blessing rather than resting in what Christ has done for me. This only makes me anxious and in turn insecure and self-righteous, leading me to judge my neighbors instead of loving them like you do. Teach me to cast down my deadly doing down at the feet of Jesus and to stand in him, in him alone, glorious and complete. Jesus, that is our prayer this morning. We don't want to take pride in our own self-righteousness and our own accomplishments because it is filth to you. We want to stand in the finished work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. Instead of looking in judgment at our neighbors, would you help us to look with compassion and empathy and to run to them, to love them, to serve them, so that they can experience the gloriousness of Jesus that we have. It's your name we pray. Amen. Can we worship and praise Jesus and express all of our gratitude for what he has done for us? Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.